0: And ride with me in my foul
1: life. Today's episode of the Fowl Life podcast is brought to you by Napa Valley Olive Oil. As avid food enthusiasts, the Fowl Life team is passionate about using high quality ingredients in their dishes. Did you know that recent studies have revealed that some well-known olive oil brands are adding filler oils like canola and vegetable oils to their products and then selling them as pure olive oil? It's alarming to think that the olive oil you've been buying from the grocery store may not be as pure as you assumed. That's why it's crucial to find a trustworthy company when it comes to your health and nutrition. And Napa Valley olive oil is just that. Napa Valley carefully selects and harvests their olives at the peak of their ripeness and then cold presses them to preserve their flavor and nutritional benefits. The result is an oil that's filled with monosaturated fats and antioxidants, making it a healthy choice for your diet. Plus, its rich, complex flavor will elevate your cooking to the next level. By choosing Napa Valley, you're not only choosing a pure and high-quality product, but you're also supporting small, family-owned olive groves and a sustainable, ethical food system so you can feel good about what you're putting in your body and supporting a sustainable future for our planet. Visit the Napa Valley website today to order your bottle. Don't settle for anything less than the best. Try Napa Valley, a company you can trust and quality you can depend on. Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is brought to you by Oakley. Guys, let's talk about something important, protecting your eyes. Whether you're hitting the field and stream or just heading to work, you need eyewear that provides clarity, protection, and the style you need. Visit oakley.com to find the perfect pair for you.
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Foul Life Podcast Midwest series. I'm your host, Joel Clayfish. Along with me today, the Jargon Pro Staff, the Foul Life Pro Staff guy all-around great guy, but unbelievable caller when it comes to the uh, waters and woods of Wisconsin and the Midwest, anywhere in the country for that matter. Dave Nelson. What's up, Dave? Not much, man. Thank you for that intro there. Well, I'm telling you, it always blows my mind because I, I consider myself somebody who's a linguistic person. And when it comes to duck and goose calling and turkey calling in particular, linguistics is incredibly important and I think people think oh I can either call or I can't call and in fact that's not really the case a lot of times you have to teach yourself and it's practice practice practice
2: practice it is yeah yeah the a lot best of practice. callers
0: are, are about practicing today we're gonna talk a little bit about tactics for turkey hunting uh we're in Wisconsin and the turkey hunting season's about to kick off in a couple of weeks here which I'm super jacked about Dave and I are going to hit the field together and we'll hopefully get some some kills on camera hopefully you got any spots you got spots lined up yet, oh, yeah Dave? there's a
2: couple yeah
0: yeah I've been watching it and it's so funny because the turkeys are still all grouped up here because it's yeah. cold yet but the already the toms are practicing and the jakes are practicing and I'm I have to tell you what I, I've you know used a lot of calls throughout the years uh, mm-hmm. turkey hunting and jargon has really got some unbelievable turkey calls they do um you honestly, the stuff that comes out of your mouth just blows my mind. And we're going to, so we'll get to that today when someone is going to hit the turkey field for the first time, uh, and they're considering a call for themselves. What, what do you think is the best place to start?
2: Um, I mean, probably as a, as a first starter call, I would go with, with two things. Uh, I would go with a box call and a slate call and the slate can be, you know, glass or, or your, your typical, that gray slate material. Uh, but those are the two I would start with just because they're the easiest. And uh, the reason I say two, was the box call there? The reason I say two is a box call is, is loud, right? So a lot of times in situations I'll use a box call if it's really windy or if I'm, say, I'm hunting public land and I'm I'm just running and gunning and I'm just hitting a trail, I'm just trying to locate a bird, I'll hit a box call and, and all it is is that, that paddle. And you're not putting a whole lot of pressure down on the paddle. You're just going to just let the weight of that paddle on the on the box itself do the do all the work and as you swing it across you'll hear the sound come out right and i'm not pushing hard right you just just let it run across it
0: i think a lot of times uh, people they try to manipulate the handle of it and they do kind of they'll crank it up crank it in and out and R- right you don't need to do that
2: no you don't want to grip the paddle and it's hard to do um, not in a video but literally i always lay it pretty much flat and i'll let that paddle the weight of the paddle do the work and you're more so just pushing it so i'll grab it actually from the top. Over the top of the paddle rather than you know and i don't want to again it's hard to to describe it but what i don't want to do is lift it like you just said so sure. people if you don't want to crank on
0: it and lift it up you, as you don't
2: know. No, and, and, and I'll he's show got yeah. dave's
0: got the boom box right now that's uh the new jargon box call and it i mean this thing can kill turkeys though oh yeah just
2: this can kill turkeys absolutely absolutely uh but i'll show you so the wrong way to do it like we were saying when you pick that paddle up people have a tendency of doing this and that sounds like a turkey, right? Kinda. But if, if you do it just if you just let the weight of that paddle do it.
0: Yeah. Right. And you know what I notice about that, and that and that is the, the engineering of the box call. It's got that hollow box in it, and that is what's giving you the authentic turkey sound toward the end of it. It's kind of that chomp yep exactly because you can you can get that squeak out of just about anything yeah 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 you can get that about uh, out of just about anything it's that finalization of when that paddle finally closes over the box and it gives you that count yes so show us that one more time yep and i just want to explain it real carefully he's got his his uh, forefinger and his middle finger split open over the top of the paddle not putting any pressure down on it or lifting up just sliding it to the side and it's really that easy as long as it's Mm -hmm. chalked up a little bit it's really that correct easy. that sounds that sounds dynamite, and it sounds yeah. just like an old hand, I mean yeah. If that's not going to get something's, you know, attention from far away. And I have to tell you, we're, we're in a fairly small room. We're in the, in the Midwest studio here and that thing is loud. Yeah, it is. So if you're trying to cut through wind, you know, a lot of times when you start calling, all of a sudden a plane will go overhead and you're going to cut through all that. And that's kind of, I like to use box calls personally when I don't know exactly where the turkeys are roosting. I know they're in the area. Um, and I think that's kind of a good way to get their attention.
2: Well, another another place this is a crucial, you know. And I'm like I'm like this with a lot of calls, but I like to have a little bit of everything, right? It's it's tough. You would never catch me going to the woods with just this, right? It just works great, call. right, with just a box call, right? But there's situations where I will pick it up, and there's certain days where no matter how close or far the bird is, that's what they will respond to best. But the other the other place where I'll use where I will use this a lot is. Is up north, you know, for, or in the mountains or the bluffs. So around like lacrosse oh, or sure, those areas, sure. right? Because how many times are you on the other side of a valley and you hear one gobble and you're like, oh, he's got to be a quarter mile away, but he's only 150 yards, 200 yep. yards, right? It's yep. so hard to hear. So those situations, I'll start using a box call to try to get a bird to hammer.
0: And it is interesting because there are pros and cons, there are strengths and weaknesses to every type of call. Yep. But I think as far as ease of use, the box call can't be beat.
2: Oh, by far, it's the easiest, and uh, not to keep bringing up negatives. But the only other negative to it would be if this was the only call you had. It takes movement. Yeah, right. It's true. You got to. So gotta when that bird hands. when that bird gets within hundred yards, eighty yards, sixty yards, closing the distance, and you need to make a noise, you feel like you should make some sort of a sound. It's pretty tough to try to get away with that movement.
0: Yeah, that is, that is. But I'm telling you what, if you are in a blind. Uh, or if you've got some decent concealment above you, seems to me, in my experience, and I've killed hundreds of turkeys, and turkey hunting is just, it's a jam, man. I love it. Mm-hmm. But it seems like kind of when they're the closer they are, the more risky. Like if they're within 100 yards and you just got to close that gap to 40 or 30 to get that shot, that time, they can be real funny about calls. Like the, It's like they're more picky and they know what's real and what's not real when they're closer. Yeah. Do you find
2: that too? 100%. And I found it's it's situational so you you really read the birds it's no different than waterfall uh you'll watch the bird as he's closing that distance and if you keep making noise that whole time he's coming towards you that's usually when you'll have they'll hit that wall at 60, 70 right. yards right. and then you keep calling you keep calling and then I'll, eventually he leaves i've found that once they close that 100 yards if you have a visual on the bird and he's within 100 yards and he's strutting and he's coming at you he's not rubbernecking and he doesn't look like he's cautious i stay relatively quiet
0: yeah I do too. I think for turkeys, and of of course, what we're doing here is we're applying our uh, brains and overthinking to a <laughs> brain the size of a pea mm-hmm. uh, and instinct. Now everybody says, well, our turkeys are dumb. Turkeys might be dumb, but they're incredibly instinctive. They are. So I think a lot of times they're using that call as a locator mm-hmm. out of their curiosity because it's breeding season and they want to find that hen. But I think sometimes when they get close enough and they hear that call they literally say to themselves that ain't real bro
2: that ain't real well and the other thing that's very i mean all wildlife i give them credit but this waterfall and especially turkeys is when you don't see one you know and say he he gobbles and he sounds you know it's about as far as you can hear so i think pretty sure i just heard one gobble and you give it a couple minutes, and you'll call at him, and then he, he's a little bit closer. Yeah. Okay, there he is. And then you'll just be quiet, or at least I will. Yeah. You sit down, and you just be I quiet, do. and you let him respond. And sometimes you'll get an old bird that doesn't respond, and it might take 20 minutes, 30 minutes. But all of a sudden, there he is, right. 56 yards. Happ- from that distance, A lot. he heard one or two calls from a hen, and he knew exactly where right. you were. And I think that's also a risk, because you know when you're set up,
0: you're sitting... Thirty yards, twenty-five yards, twenty yards from your decoys. I like them close. Sometimes yep. fifteen, but I think they are literally so adept at hearing that they can say, "Wait a minute, that's not coming from that decoy," yep. and that throws them off a little bit too.
2: Well, I think they're they're very, very, very aware of their surroundings, right? I mean, they live there for sure. You know, we think that you're we sitting know in their everything. living room, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So they know. You know, when they hear something from a distance, they have. I think they do have an idea of. Ah, I think that that hen is in this corner of that field no doubt yep. so
0: the next step up i would say definitely on the difficulty scale the next step up is obviously the slate call or the yep. pot the pot call pot style call. Um, yeah and i think the turntable which is jargon slate call i have never heard a slate that has such depth to it mm-hmm. and of course they, it comes with the two um, it Strikers. comes with the purple hard striker and then it comes with the hardwood striker yep. and you're going to use those differently in different situations. But yes. why don't you take us through, you know, pulling out the pot call or just learning the yeah. pot call for the first time and, and, show us what the turntable sounds like and what are some, some different sounds you can create with it and, and some of the situations you'd use that in.
2: Sure. So the, the number one thing when you first buy this sucker is it's going to come with a little pad. It looks like a little Scotch bright pad. And what you want to do is take that pad and pick a corner. You don't want to do the whole call. I mean, I guess you could if you wanted to, but you'll just pick a, a corner, a quarter of that, and you'll take a few swipes up and down, and you want, to, you want to scuff that surface up, right? So you'll hit it a few times, get it scuffed up, and ultimately that's what's going to kind of give you that good tone from that striker running across the slate rather than just that, that flat. So I'll show you. I'll, I'll go off the one side that's, that's un, uh, unscuffed, we'll call it, so you see there's not a whole yeah, lot of depth like there. No there's right? friction. There's no depth, yeah. And it, it goes across the the material very easily. Now if I flip it to the other side that I just scuffed up, it grabs, it grabs a lot easier. You can feel it right away when you start to move the striker. sounds way more realistic yeah. right
0: tell everybody what kind of what pattern you're scratching in yeah. what are you making what are you making a shape so yeah some guys will down. do a circle how are
2: you holding the striker yeah so some guys will, will do a circle and i'm holding the striker just like you would pick up a pencil and write okay that's how i'm holding the striker and then when i'm holding the the actual call itself i'm using my middle finger and my thumb on opposite sides and uh, I'm just kind of resting my pointer finger more in the middle. And if you look on the back of this, you can see all those holes in the back. That's where that sound is coming out of. So what you don't want to do is, is palm it because you're just going to muffle that sound. You want to let as much of that sound out as possible. So I'm going to just grip the corners. And the nice thing about this is rather than just being a, a round surface, it's actually got these little grooves. And we'd have to ask the boys at Jargon, but I don't know if that was done because it does look nice too
0: oh heck yeah it's got uh, that purple heart inlay in it with the different kinds of woods and i'm and that's actually kind of it's the soundboard of the call yep the the back and the wood on it is the soundboard just as the back of a drum you know a certain type of snare drums got a a back on it that is the soundboard for that drum head yep and these things are so meticulously put together that i think i think it's one of the reasons they've got such rich sound to them absolutely yeah yeah so show us your basic when you're heading to the woods and you're going to give that first call you sit for a half hour first or Mm -hmm. you sit for an hour and a half like i do because i'm getting in there before before sunrise hoping to listen to the gobbles um and what's the first thing you're going to do when you're calling in the woods
2: so the the first thing that i'll usually do is i won't make a sound until the birds hit the ground And again, it goes back to that, you know, know. that,
0: that is a, that is a debate. That is a long held debate (laughs) between people
2: Yeah. because
0: I know guys who say, as soon as they're lighting up in the trees, you got to let them know you're, you're here. And then other guys say, don't touch the call until they hit
2: the ground. And I'm one of those. I don't. And then the only time that I will, and this, this, this goes very in depth. So it goes into scouting, but the only time that I will call when a bird is still in a tree, again, it's situational. It's knowing that maybe there's only one hen with him. You know, it's not a flock, it's one two hens and those birds they're starting to get up or say it's a solo time, especially if it's a solo time, okay? And I'm far enough away to where you you're pretty sure he probably can't see you. I'll I'll give out some tree yelps and we'll go into this, but I'll go I'll give some tree yelps and it's not a full-blown loud cadence. It, they're very mellow. It's just like a turkey waking up, just like when you wake up in the morning. When you first wake up, you're not just going to start yelling. I mean, I guess some people would, but for the most part, you're usually kind of groggy and you're kind of stretching, and that's how I'm going to have my my hen yelp sound. There's one scenario whereby I do that. Okay, and that is if I'm trying to pull
0: birds from a different property, or oh, pull sure. birds from a different cornfield or a different uh, group of trees, or if they roosted on a separate property that's the one time I will do that is I will call I will I will get give a few soft yelps mm -hmm. to say hey there are birds
2: over here yep and I'll do the same thing so what I I was what I was going to say is I'll do those those soft tree yelps right and what it does is it lets that bird know oh there's a hen there I didn't even know she was she was there tonight and it kind of gets his attention and I'll do those soft tree yelps and then I'll, I'm, and I get as realistic as I can, right? So when a hen flies down from a tree, you hear them, right? It's usually quiet. And then all of a sudden it, and they hit the ground and I'll even take it a step farther. I keep a Turkey wing with me. Okay. And again, this is something I only do if I'm far enough to where he's probably a hundred, 150 yards away, but he can't see me. So I'll take that Turkey wing. I'll do my tree yelps, you know. And once it gets to that time where birds are flying down, or birds should be flying down, I'll hit them with that fly down cackle, and then I'll take the wing at the same time. Or you can use your hat. So you go, hit the ground, and then and then you get into your actual yelps. And that bird thinks, well, heck, she just flew down and she went that way, so I, I think I'm going to probably get going.
0: So. Let's take it from a, a more basic scenario. Yeah, um, you you let them fly down. They fly down at the opposite end of the field you're in, or yep. they fly down within hearing distance of you. What is the first kind of yelp you're going to do? Your
2: yelp, and, and we'll, we were talking about pairing. I know we're just going all over the place, and that's my fault because I'm just that's right. It's exciting. Yeah, don't. it is. It's, it's exciting. just just thinking about it. But what you'll do is is some guys will go in a circular motion. Okay, I don't. I'll I don't, I wouldn't say pick it up. Maybe it's more of an oval. But what you what you don't want is just, to, again, just like the, the paddle in the box call, you want to just keep consistent pressure down with the striker. And you don't want to be pushing harder at any time or bringing it up. Just Just a consistent pressure in a circular motion. Right yeah. there.
0: And I think... You're, what happens when you're, when you're doing that, it, there's a natural letting off as you finish that circle and that makes that hump sound exactly. to, at the end of it, which is very natural for the turkeys. I mean, when you listen to hens, when you actually listen to them, they give, mm-hmm. it's like yep. type of sound. And that slate mimics that very well. It does. So let's hear that one more time and then yeah. kind of go into some of the other things you can do on a slate call sure. and when you'd use those.
2: Yep. So here's your Yelp.
0: Is it important how fast you do those together? Or are you going to kind of listen to the other birds and, and mock what they're doing?
2: Yeah, you want to mock what other birds are doing. It's just like people, you know, the faster you do something or the more aggressively you do it, the more angry that bird is going to sound. And sometimes that's beneficial, too. We'll get into that. But for the most part, when you hear turkey, it's kind of that same cadence. That like,
0: Yeah, sure. So they're out. They're in the field. They're not yep. necessarily responding. They're not running over.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, they're kind of grouped up. Their hand up. The toms are paying attention to the hens. What? How often are you going to call and What's the next kind of call that you're going to use?
2: So I'll. I won't call a ton. What? I, what I'll usually do at that point is start. Is start trying to tick the hens off, and you can start cutting at them. And cutting is that real aggressive. I'll, sh- I'll show you. All you're going to do is rather than that circle, you're just going to take one strike. Okay. So rather than we want just that back end, right? So. Right there, that cut. Yep, yep. And the pitches can can change, right? So, the pitch when they cut, when they get aggressive, it's not a, a consistent same tone. No. Right? So, you want to kind of it's mix that up. Shorter, it's
0: longer and shorter. Sometimes it's chuck, chuck. Sometimes yep.
2: it's chuck, chuck, chuck,
0: chuck, chuck yep um there doesn't seem to be a necessary rhyme or reason to it Mm -mm. but it's definitely more of a hey i'm over here i'm dominating and if you've got a i often think if you've got a a dominant hen out and uh jake three-quarter jake i love hunting Mm -hmm. with three-quarter jakes i know you're a full strut tom guy i'm a full three-quarter jake guy but i think i have killed just as many turkeys because of A pissed off hen Mm -hmm. as I have bringing a tom to a jake probably more maybe more maybe more because those toms are going to follow anyway exactly and I can't tell you I've had I've had hens in full strut fighting my upright dominant hen
2: yeah well and people don't know this but in wild when you take us out of the equation the hens go to the toms right and yes, they're ready to breed. 100. So that's what makes the the calling even more important and critical. Is but you're thinking you're I mean you're fooling that animal, but you're doing something. You're making that animal do something that he does not do in the wild. That hen is supposed to go to him. Right. So again, yeah, you really do have to think about that a lot. Is a lot when you are dealing with birds that that are still flocked up you're calling more to that hen than you are that Tom. Because let's face it, when they're out there, when there's 10, 15, sometimes 20 turkeys, I and mean, look at that hunt we had last year, 30, yeah. 35 turkeys, you don't have a shot. Right. There, I mean, a Tom is not going to leave his group of girls to come, to to come over ground. to you. It's That's just right. not going to happen. So you have to start, you have to get either aggressive with the hen and try that approach. And if that doesn't work, what I'll do, and in, in, when it comes to a slate call, this is my favorite note, and it's just a purr. And all it is, is just contentness. And sometimes that's enough to, to piss them off or it's just enough to, for them to hear it and say, man, they're pretty comfortable over there. Yeah. They must be food over there. Must be food over there. Maybe we'll just go check that out. And when you do a purr, you're, you're not going to push again. It's the same, same amount of pressure and you're just going to slowly drag that striker across the the surface.
0: I notice it's almost directly straight up and down. It's almost completely perpendicular to the call.
2: Yep. Yep. That's I have it. to this tell you, like purr.
0: and there is nothing. There is very, there are very few things as exciting as when you're sitting there, and you see a hen come into your hen feeder and upright, and the hen that's come in is purring. Yeah, because she's saying everything's cool here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat. Look at these dudes; are chilling. Um, there's, there's a, a Jake or a Tom here, but he's not bothering me. I think she's at that point saying, "Ladies, come on over." Yep. And I think that when I, when I've had a real uh, hen come in and purr around the decoys it's almost always game over because some tom somewhere is going to be like oh yep what's going on over there yep and then a lot of times that's enough for them to get ticked off at that uh jake or tom decoy and say well that ain't cool he's entertaining those hens over there i always tell people it's kind of like guys at a bar yeah it's yep. like yeah. it's like "Hey, hey what's that dude talking to our ladies over there what's going on Hey, just be cool, man. Have a cocktail. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. And then over time, they're like, I, I got to go. And then his buddies puff up with him and go over there. And uh, you know what they say, uh, curiosity killed the cat. Mm-hmm. So that's what happens in that scenario.
1: Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is also brought to you by Banded. If you're tired of settling for second-rate gear that doesn't perform when it counts, look no further than Banded, the ultimate choice for hunters and outdoor enthusiasts. From top-of-the-line hunting jackets to ultra-comfortable, meticulously crafted waders, Bandit has everything you need to take your outdoor game to the next level. And what's more, their gear and camo patterns are anything but average, designed to give you the edge that you need to succeed. But it's not just their gear that makes Bandit stand out. Their accessories, like their backpacks, are built to withstand anything the outdoors can throw at you. And their decoys are trusted by the best guides and outfitters across the nation. Trust us, you won't find better gear anywhere else. Head over to banded.com and experience the difference for yourself. Choose Banded and dominate the outdoors like never before. Today's episode of the Fowl Life Podcast is also brought to you by Lear. Keeping your gear safe and secure on the road has never been easier than it is with Lear. With innovative features and design like the twist handle locking system and easy lift system, Lear's truck caps and tonneau covers provide added convenience and security for truck owners. And with durable and weather-resistant materials and fully customizable options, you can trust Lear to keep your cargo safe and dry no matter where you go. Upgrade your truck today with Lear's top quality accessories. Visit Lear.com now.
0: So, yeah. Is there anything else you want to show us on the Slate call, uh, on the pod call, or those are the three
2: major things? Yeah, those are your three major ones. And for me, it's the purr. Yeah. that That's the, uh, yeah. the biggest thing with the Slate call. I, I'm partial to a diaphragm call. I love a diaphragm call. So I've always, I'm always using a diaphragm call. Personally, I can't purr all that well on a diaphragm call. So I use the Slate for that. Well, so you've
0: got, so on the Slate you you have your your basic yelp mm-hmm. which is fairly easy we'll go through them all real quick so yep. show us the basic yelp basic yelp making a circular circular
2: motion motion with and that striker. cadence you know it's you don't want to have a too drunk drug right. out right because you think of a turkey's lungs but for for the most part yeah that sounds yeah. so good yep. it really
0: does and then uh the your cuts the cut yep And that sounds so realistic. And the fact of the matter is, it is so easy on the yeah. pod call to do that. Yep. And then your purr. Your purr. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds really good. Uh, again, um, the, the that's the turntable by jargon, and that is just a really easy slate call to use. Comes with the two strikers. You're going to get different sounds with that, too. But I, yeah. I'm just, they are dynamic calls, and that is my complete arsenal now. Yep. Um. Now now we're going to get into an area that is kind of the quintessential, I don't know what you'd call it, like the pinnacle of turkey calling. <laughs> this is what turkey calling contests are about. This is what uh, turkey calling, the, the diaphragm call, mm-hmm. which is essentially a metal frame covered in canvas, and it's got uh, um, elastic in the middle of it, yep. uh, and it's it fits in your mouth, and it's Tough for a lot of people to even get a sound out of a diaphragm call. A lot of people say it tickles too much to do it. Yeah. But the diaphragm call, um, which one are you using right there? Is that that's a snooty? I think. Mm-hmm. That's a snooty. Yeah. Yep. All right, the snooty. So, show us what how to use the diaphragm call how you put it in your mouth what pressure you put uh when you put it in your mouth so uh, just if you've never seen a diaphragm call you can go on jargon game calls and and look up the three uh jargon uh, game calls and this is these are diaphragm calls and they fit right in your mouth and the beauty of these in my opinion is you can make all these calls perfectly still you're not moving arms exactly you're not moving legs it's and they're just unbelievably realistic sounding yeah so take us through how what are the first steps to get into the call which is by far the most difficult call by far
2: yes it is and what you'll want to do is you'll you'll take this out and you'll see all the jargon calls have the jargon logo stamped on on the tape on that top part so that keeps it pretty easy you know that that's the top part of the call Right, And if for some reason that ever were to get worn off after use and you were to forget, underneath on that metal frame, underneath the tape, you can feel that there's a dimple. That dimple always goes down. And ultimately, that horseshoe shape that you've got, you want your, your reeds to be facing out. So that horseshoe is going to go to where the horseshoe is facing out. And when you place this in your mouth, throw it in there, what I'll usually do is just get a little saliva and kind of get that call wet and kind of separate that latex a little bit. And then when you put it in the roof of your mouth, you don't want it so back to where you're choking on it, obviously. But you also don't want it resting on the on your top teeth. Or I shouldn't say on the teeth, but on the inside front teeth. of on the, the front, front, front teeth. teeth yeah. Correct. You want about right in the middle. To the point where that, like we talk about with, with ducks and geese. That fatty part of your tongue is kind of what's going to be coming up and pushing on that latex. That mid to fatty part. So what's the first sound? Without the call in your mouth, what is the sound
0: you're making when you push the air through it?
2: I will I will almost say yuck. 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 And you'll start with your tongue kind of pushed up on the yuck. latex. Yuck. yuck. And what I would tell somebody that's never used one before, because it's, it's, it is hard... Put it, put, it, put it in the roof of your mouth there, put some pressure on with your tongue, and just start letting air go. Right? Go. Just just start letting air come out, and you'll kind of figure out what sounds more tricky than other, right? Now, you are, you using,
0: are you pressing air from your lungs, or are you
2: pressing air from your diaphragm, from lowering your stomach I, like a goose and duck I call? I do just like a duck and goose call. I, to be totally honest with you, I don't think you have to. Because there are times where, where you want that higher pitch and, and it seems like i bring it more from my chest than my gut, but it's just a habit for me. Right. Um, so for me, I do bring it out of my gut, but you'll play with, play with that airflow, figure out where that sound comes from, and then it's a yuck. Let's hear yuck, it. Yuck, yuck, yuck. <laughs> so there's the front part, right? So you push that pressure. Just get that, okay? And do that, and you want it consistent. You don't want it all over the place, but... And then you're going to drop your jaw and and start to relieve that that pressure from your tongue on the latex. And that's when that call hits the lower ear up. Correct, yep, correct. Yep, and that's where you'll do your yuck, so... And I
0: want to explain what he's doing with his mouth. So he's letting the air go through, the yow. And then at the end, you close your lips to cut mm-hmm. it off, and it gives it the yelp, yelp,
2: close yelp. My, it's, it's Yeah, I close my lips, but I'm dropping my jaw. Okay. Right? So.
0: Now put that together for us.
2: Man, that sounds really... Yeah, that's awesome. Yep. So that's and it's very hard. But that would be the start is try to get that steady just like a goose call. You got to walk before you run and try to get that steadiness of that yuck. Yeah, and yuck. he's using the uh he's using the black Annie Jones right
0: now. That's Correct. what he's using to make that call. And You know, there's the Annie Jones, the Snooty, and the Squabble, and there's advantages to each of those Mm -hmm. depending what calls you want to
2: try to make. Yeah, they're all cut different in the latex, so you can see from looking at them, and you can see in the pictures that the cuts are different, and this has more of what they would call a bat wing cut.
0: Yeah. I've noticed with you, even with a diaphragm, or especially particularly with a diaphragm call, you are able to make all of the calls that we've shown so far that you've heard so far on the box call on the slate call and even more extensive calls with the diaphragm call but this one takes by far the most practice
2: it does and and again i i can't stress enough of just putting the call in the roof of your mouth getting the placement right and just playing with it you ju- just start letting air flow and start pushing pressure with your tongue drop figure out where that sweet spot is and it becomes a muscle memory thing again uh, At, at after some time but it takes a lot of practice well
0: I know a lot of people who practice quite a bit and I practice quite a bit but Dave you have a gift you have been blessed with some bizarre calling (laughs) thank you genio of some sort Uh, because uh, whatever type of calling you end up doing ends up sounding phenomenal but I don't want to put it past everybody listening that Dave is practicing this stuff like hours and hours a day
2: if my dad was here yeah he could tell you I mean when I was a little kid. These were always in the truck. They were in my backpack to school. I mean... By the way,
0: I met Dave for the very first time when I think he was about 15 years old, maybe younger... Yeah, uh, and, and on the edge of a duck field, we were both uh, walking into a duck field, and we ended up hunting together when he was 15 years old, and he was with his dad at the time. Yep. And uh, I don't believe in coincidence. God's uh, God puts people in your lives at at certain times for certain reasons, and this was a reason. And now we get to work together uh, on the foul life stuff and jargon awesome. stuff, and it's awesome. Yeah. It is just awesome. Um, Take us through kind of the the calls that you did on the slate, Mm -hmm. on the pod call with
2: the diaphragm call. Sure. So we had our Yelp there, obviously, right? (laughs) There's your Yelp. Now, your cut, what you're going to do is. What you want is that back half of your saying chuck. Almost, yeah. But you don't finish the at the end. No. I don't like using actual words as far as what you're saying because some people will take that too literal, right? And it's not, you know, I'm, I'm, it is almost like I'm saying "chuck," but it's, okay, and all you're getting is that that back end.
0: Now that does sound similar to a yelp, but it's much more aggressive.
2: Yes. Yep. So. We, we can put this into cadence. Uh, what I'll do, I'll give a situation, okay? So you've got a bird that's, that's fired up. Maybe he's with the hen, maybe he's not. But he, you can't see him yet, but he's probably within 100 yards. And you've been messing with him for the last 5, 10, maybe 15 minutes. He hasn't closed the distance at all. All you've been doing is just yelping at him. What I'll do, and this works with the hen too. So say a hen is with him, and the hen starts yelping back at you. First thing I'll do is whatever her cadence was, I'll do it right back. So say it was six yelps, and she's just real content, six yelps. The second she's done, I hit it. Eight times out of ten, she'll do something back. Now the next time she does it, I'll be ready, and the second she starts to yelp, before she's done with her sequence, I hit her with, with some yelps, right? So she's over there. Cut you're interrupting, off. you're cutting Interrupt her. her off. Exactly. You're establishing dominance. Exactly. She's going to start getting more aggressive. Second she does, I do as well. And what I'll do is I'll start cutting her. So then she's, she'll keep, keep yelping aggressively, and the next time I cut her off... Start hitting her with those cuts, that real aggressive stuff, and they get so angry. They get so mad. And they can't help but come try to pick a fight.
0: I think that I mean everybody who goes or a lot of people who go out there, they have it in their mind that they're trying to tick off a a Tom Mm -hmm. with their Jake or their or their Tom Decoy. I think in many cases, especially during breeding season, it's as easy, if not easier, to tick off a hen. Way easier. Way easier. And cutting will do that for you. And those toms are relying on that hen to submit to them during the actual breeding process, but they will follow those hens around.
2: Yeah, isn't it crazy? They they don't give a care in the world they as don't far give as danger. A, no, wherever they don't. she goes, they go.
0: And I've seen toms, I mean, I've seen scenarios where I've killed a tom with a tag, and there's two or three other toms, and they will stay there for 45 minutes while you're breaking the blind down, and those toms are still sitting there around your decoys. Mm-hmm. It's
2: crazy sometimes. Yeah. But getting them in there in the first place is always a tough That's part. the difficult part. And it's, it comes into reading birds and knowing when to make certain noises. So cutting, uh, another thing that I'll do when it comes to cutting or, or calling aggressively, and I like to have another person with me. Is say you get, and I'm just going to, I'm thinking of a situation in my head of a hunt I had a few years ago with a buddy where there were three or four birds in the corner of this field, no hens, none, all long, all long beards, toms. And we worked them for a half an hour and they would not come. Hmm. And they were probably 200, 250 yards away. And I looked at my buddy and said, we're just going to give this a shot. And I faced one way, he faced another way. And I said, just start cutting. So I'm going to start with kind of a a lower yelp. You hit me with a a more aggressive one, and then we'll start cutting back and forth. And I said, even to make it sweeter, I'm going to start cutting with a a slate call as well, and we'll see what happens. So that's what we did. They came running. Huh. Came Came running. Yeah. Yep. Yep. For 45 minutes, half hour, 45 minutes, we were just yelping, sweet God only
0: knows what they're thinking, th- but you tripped their instincts
2: somehow. Yeah, and I think all it was, they couldn't quite see us the whole time. There was, In in looking at it now, the situation was perfect. We didn't know this. I mean, we did, but thinking of it now, there was a dip in the field where our sure. decoys were. Everything was laid out absolutely perfect. We were in a, in a tree line behind to where they couldn't quite see us, and we could get away with that. And in their minds, what they thought was, Holy crap, there's got to be three or four girls over there just going at it. Let's go check this out.
0: Right. Yeah. So now the purr yeah. uh,
2: on the diaphragm
0: call, that's your other basic call. I mean, there's there's yeah. three basics... To start with, and, and we'll probably do something in depth at a f- in a future podcast. But
2: yeah. as far as purring with the, with the mouth call that that can be tricky, very tricky. And I'm going to be totally honest with you, I'm not great at it. But there's two different ways you can do it. One is considered correct. It's just like a feeder on a duck call, right? Sure. What what some guys will do is they will just pucker their, or they'll uh, uh, use their lips. They'll do that now. Do you get a purr? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, you kind of do. But the correct way to do it is you actually use your throat. And it's almost like you're gargling water. You're going to almost, almost like rolling your tongue. Sure. Right? But you're using the back of your throat. Is there a purr where you roll your tongue? Because that's how I do it. I guess that would be considered, yeah, you're almost rolling your tongue. All right. And you're going to have that that call place back there, a little bit of pressure with your tongue.
0: I don't know. You're you saying that the, you're not very good at. It. That sounds pretty good. Do you well, ever follow that up with a, with a, a clock after that? A I,
2: usually, I usually don't. I'll, usually, I'll, I'll hit them with a couple of purrs, and sometimes I'll give them some soft yelps, but it's always just content stuff. And the thing I don't like with sometimes doing those quiet, those quiet type of cuts is you do it wrong, and it sounds like a putt. Yeah, you don't want a putt. You do not want a putt. Once they hear a putt, they are all necks are up, and they're looking for danger. Yep, and a putt, for, for for some of you that might not know, is the first the first thing you will hear from a turkey when he spots you. Right. Or he knows the, the jig is up. up. Yep, they putt, 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 and it's over. But So that's the last putt. thing you want to putt. do is make anything along the lines of you're, you sound content and then follow it up with a putt.
0: Right, right. No <laughs> doubt about that. And that, that is... The single worst... It's kind of like... I liken it when you're deer hunting to a doe that's blowing at you. When something's blowing at you, it knows you're there. And a putt. And every once in a while, you can sit through that blow and they'll go back to eating or back to content. And every once in a great while, something will putt and you can sit through it and get them back to contentment, but very rarely. Very rarely. Once they putt and the others start putting, it's usually game over. If you're... If your Tom's not within striking distance at that point, you, you in most cases, might as well just hang it up.
2: Yeah, correct. Yeah, if he's within distance, if he's within your distance, maybe on that maximum edge of where you're thinking, "Hey, oh, yeah, I can probably kill him right now, and he putts, you better pull the trigger. Pull the trigger. That, that's <laughs> a fact because they're about to split. Yep. Oh, man, that's awesome. Well, I, we hope you've
0: learned uh, some, some stuff here because Dave uh, did it. Great job going through the basics of the box call, the pot call, and the diaphragm call. Uh, We use jargon calls here today. And man, I'm so excited because turkey hunting season is right around the corner. And Dave, I'm jacked to be doing it with you. So hit us next time on the Fall Life Podcast Midwest series. I'm your host, Joel Clayfish. We'll see you soon.